With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Orange Brown Talk podcast here on a Tuesday. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock, and it is Combine Week, so we are checking in from Indianapolis, uh, various locations here, but we were all at the convention center earlier today, of course, for Andrew Berry's availability. We're going to get to that, but first, let's start with the news of the day. It happened early this morning, Mary Kay, uh, John Johnson III will be released at the start of the new league year. Not a surprise. It's something you've been reporting. It's something we've talked about on this podcast, but we've reached this point now where it's going to happen. Um, I think the really interesting thing here is what's next after John Johnson. And you threw this in one of your stories, the possibility of of Jesse Bates. Will the Browns kind of go big game hunting here to, to replace Johnson? I think so. I think if Jesse Bates hits the market, I think that they will be in hot pursuit of him. And I don't think it will necessarily be easy to land him. He's going to be the best safety on the free agent market if he gets to that point. He might not even get to that point. Sometimes a team will trade for him ahead of time so that they don't have to try to fight for him in free agency. So it's not a foregone conclusion, but I do think that they will pursue uh, Jesse Bates and do basically you know, whatever they can to get him. I think he he might end up being their number one or one of their top targets in free agency after this uh, John Johnson departure, which we kind of knew was inevitable. I kind of would couch it a little bit by saying maybe they could do a restructure, but I never really felt like that was going to happen. I always felt like he probably would be gone. You know, they probably uh, tried to see if they could trade him. And, uh, you know, there weren't any takers at $13.5 million in cap hit for next year. This gives him an opportunity to get out there, um, you know, maybe get a little bit of a jump on on free agency uh, with teams knowing that he's going to be free. And uh, and hopefully for him, the phone is starting to ring uh, off the hook a little bit to his agents. Uh, yeah, Ashley, I, you know, on the one hand, I, I wonder if, you know, chasing a big free agent again at the position is just sort of kind of doing the same thing you did a couple years ago. But that's a really important position in Jim Schwartz's defense. And I'd be a little nervous leaving it up to, say, a draft pick, especially a later round draft pick. So it, it seems like, you know, if they want to find somebody, they're, they're going to have to go big here. Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, it's kind of a gamble to take on a later round, a third round, fourth round, you know, guy developing quickly enough to take on all that responsibility 
that exists in a Jim Schwartz scheme. You know, we talk about those safeties and how, you know, maybe Grant Delpit's role will be different, that he's going to be in the box potentially a lot more and, and things like that. So I do think it's a really important role. But yes, you, you kind of have to wonder at this point, I think this is a big test for them. Like, can they find the right guy? Because, you know, Johnson, I think, was supposed to be that guy. JJ3 was a huge acquisition at the time they got him. So you are kind of maybe going to run it back and try to get something better with a very similar decision, a similar process. But I think it's really important that you get this right this time if you're this regime. Mary Kay, what went wrong with JJ3? Why, Why did it not work? You know, I think that more so than anything, it was almost a scheme fit with JJ3. Right from the start, we knew for a fact that he never felt uh, that he was able to really showcase his versatility. If you remember in the first year, he would often talk about how he was just kind of playing deep. He wasn't, you know, coming up to the line. He wasn't doing all the different kinds of things that he was able to do with the Rams. And that was one of the uh, one of the biggest assets of JJ3 is that he was able to do so many different kinds of things. Now, they did mix it up more in uh, in 2022. And again, I don't know if it was just maybe Joe Woods' defense where uh, philosophically he had to have him doing the things that he did and not doing the things that he felt better doing. But I know that it was a struggle for him. I know it was a struggle just in the same way it was a struggle for Greg Newsom, not feeling like he was used in the way that best maximized his talents and abilities. Um, so We'll, we'll have to see what happens with J.J. 3 going forward. As he, he told me this morning um, that he feels his best ball is ahead of him. Now, he was great in the locker room, as, of course, you guys know. He was great in the community. He was a good, you know, good guy for the team and the locker room and all those kinds of things. Um, and he did love it here. He loved playing in Cleveland, and he enjoyed the fan base. He became a quick fan favorite. Uh, but something was just off, and I think it was just – him not feeling like he was being used to the best of his ability. Ashley, I mean, look, we all have had opportunities to talk to, to John Johnson and, and kind of, you know, get to know him on, on various levels after games. He was always somebody who would talk. He was, he was a guy that was usually in the locker room. Uh, what do you think went wrong with JJ3 and, and how will you kind of remember his, his couple of years here? I do think Mary Kay kind of hit the nail on the head that it was like Joe Woods just never figured out how to get the most out of him, I felt. And I think we know now, like, eh, maybe the Joe Woods scheme as a whole was just not a fit for the guys they have on this roster. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, JJ3's PFF grade, for example, right? And like some of the things he would get blamed for on there, like missed tackles and, and other things. Like, it was just the role he was playing in that defense that, for whatever reason, he was around a lot of stuff going wrong a lot of the time that maybe wasn't his fault. And I think last year, you know, we talked about it seemed like maybe he turned a corner. Maybe they were they were able to do some different things with him that showed off his versatility. And for whatever reason, I mean, it, we say that a lot about the 2022 Browns defense. Like, things just didn't carry over. Things didn't carry over from 2021 into last season. And I think his like building in this scheme was one of those things. Mary Kay, I, for one, am going to miss talking to JJ three in the locker room. He was, he was a great, great guy to talk to. Um, certainly a guy that, you know, I think, and I think especially kind of after the Odell Beckham stuff sort of became one of the voices of this team. And I think that that is something that kind of carried over from year to year. He really did sort of embrace that role. 
He really did. He was a team leader. Uh, he would tell it like it is. He quickly assumed that uh, that team leadership sort of vibe about him. Uh, I mean, he was one of the players uh, that said early on in the season that, you know, some guys were, you know, maybe not spending enough time, uh, you know, outside of the building on, on doing everything they needed to do uh, to get where they needed to be in this game. And as a professional, uh, he was such a stand-up guy after uh, you know, after games, he was always there, uh, you know, win, lose, or draw. He was one of those guys that would always be there for you, always uh, answering questions. He he enjoyed the back and forth. I think he, he really did. In fact, uh, when I, you know, when I, when I had, um, you know, an exchange with him today, he, he said, I'm going to miss you guys, you know, and there's not that many players that, you um, you know, that, that say that as on their way out the door that they're going to miss us, right? Uh, you know, sometimes for a lot of them, it's some a little bit more of a chore than it is something they really like to do. But he really did enjoy doing that, and he loved the community. And if you remember, and I know you do, that when he first signed here, he was over the moon to come to Cleveland. He couldn't wait. He, he was jumping out of his skin. He had heard so many great things about the fan base, and, and he couldn't wait to get here. And, and play for the Cleveland Browns. And when a guy like that comes into town, I always want it to work out really well because I want them to be a good ambassador for the city and for the team going forward. Hopefully he'll still have good things to say. I'm sure he will. He's a positive guy. Um, too bad it didn't work out. It's unfortunate, but uh, time for everyone to, to see what the next chapter holds. A two scrum guy after games. Sometimes you get him like right away, and then like the next wave of reporters would come in and get him. One of those guys. Those are always those are always the good guys. All right, let's take a break here, and then when we come back, we'll uh, take a quick look at what Andrew Barry had to say here in Indianapolis. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Dan Lobby with Mary Kate Cabot and Ashley Bastock in Indianapolis for the NFL Scouting Combine. We heard from Andrew Barry uh, today uh, at, at the convention center. So let's kind of throw out some takeaways. Mary Kate, what was your big takeaway uh, from listening to Andrew today? Well, you know, I think uh, one of the things that I did write about was the fact that, you know, it is on the table or could be on the table uh, that, you know, you might have to do something with uh, Deshaun's big contract. Now, he's got $230 million guaranteed, so it doesn't matter if they have to move some commas around or uh, move some things out to another year or or give them, you know, some upfront signing bonus money or whatever they need to do to lower their cap number because right now they're 13 point something over the cap. They will save a bunch of money uh, when they release John Johnson the third with the June first designation, they will save nine point seven five uh, on the cap with him. But that's not enough. I mean, that just that doesn't even get them to ground zero. I mean, they have a lot more that they have to do. And you're going to look at the double digit contracts. And of course, the biggest one of all is Deshaun Watson at almost a fifty five million dollar cap hit. So if they can get some relief there, uh, they would really like to be able to to do it. But I mean, it doesn't mean that's a foregone conclusion. They've got a number of guys in that category. They don't have to do Deshaun. Maybe they do Deshaun another year. Um, 
but they've got other guys that they can kind of mess around with those numbers a little bit, and they're going to have to. Either that or they're going to have to either trade or release more players. Yeah, Ashley, not a big surprise that Deshaun Watson would be on the table. That's kind of the nature of these big quarter. I mean, it's the biggest contract you have when when you finally have a guy, and sometimes you got to figure out a way to move that money. But still, I did think it was interesting that Andrew was about as forthcoming as, as Andrew is in these topics. He didn't say it would happen. He said, like Mary Kay said, it could be on the table. But I, I did think it was interesting that he at least entertained the idea. I did too, because it was kind of for, you know, all intents and purposes, I think a very standard Andrew Berry press conference, which I know, you know, he doesn't, he does keep things very close to the vest. And I thought, you know, that, that was something that stood out to me too in real time. I think it was one of the first things we talked about when we left the interview room. And, you know, like you said, it's not unheard of, right? Like Patrick Mahomes went through something similar. Um, it, it just wouldn't be that surprising, I think, if it does happen. And it's interesting always, I think, when he gives us a little glimpse into something even being on the table still, just given how, how secretive Andrew can tend to be in his press conferences. And Mary Kay, it's really, I mean, there are still some gymnastics left for them to do to get under the cap. But I will say Andrew did not seem phased at all when he was talking about the salary cap. And he mentioned um, in a little side scrum that we had with him that uh, he he's pretty confident that they're going to have the flexibility to uh, be as aggressive or as conservative as they want to be when they get into free agency. Yeah, they definitely will be able to do that. And remember, you know, these are some of the best capologists in the NFL. You know, these are obviously guys that went to Ivy League schools. They understand numbers, they understand economics, and they certainly understand the salary cap. And when when he says that they will have no trouble accomplishing their offseason goals with the money that they need and getting under the cap by March 15th, they'll be able to do it. They, I'm sure they have already figured out, you know, three, four or five other things that they can or will do. And I did ask him, you know, does this mean some other big name guys are going to be cap casualties? And, and he just said, it's hard to say. He didn't say no, um, but he did say that he does like the val- the core of the team right now. So that says to me, restructure, restructure, restructure wherever you can. Yeah. And he even threw out a, a Tom Telescoism. At some point, he admitted that he butchered it. So maybe it's not really a Tom Telesco. Basically saying you'd rather have guys with big cap numbers than just have a, a ton of cap space. So that's where this roster is right now. Ashley, what did you have uh, as a takeaway from this from this thing? So I think my, my takeaway is going to be something I'm writing about, which is this defensive line, the defensive front, defensive tackle situation. And I think I'm still kind of like unsure how this team is going to handle defensive tackles. And that is making me a little bit nervous. Now, again, the caveat is Andrew likes to keep things close to the vest. But I think it's interesting to kind of hear him talk about, you know, when we talked to him before they hired Jim Schwartz and people asked about the defensive tackles, he said, well, it kind of depends on what guy we hire, what the front of this defense is going to look like. But I think this is a phrase we're going to hear again and again with Jim Schwartz is this attack-minded style of defense. And they just didn't really have that last year up front. 
Um, Miles Garrett had 16 sacks. The next, next highest sack getter was Taven Bryan with two. So that's not going to cut it. That's not exactly, I think, attack-minded for your defensive line. But you guys know I tried to ask Andrew, like, well, you, you haven't spent a lot of money on free agents the last couple of years. You haven't drafted high. And he kind of bristled at this idea that it hasn't been an investment. And I think they've invested in their ends, obviously, right? But the defensive tackle spot, there hasn't been that big swing. Um, and he said, you know, we, we've kind of patched it together with these other, you know, you know, it's kind of essentially been the, the quantity of guys they've gotten. And I worried that they might stick to that same strategy. And I'm not convinced it's going to work. Yeah, Mary, I would certainly push back on the at least the defensive tackle side of things. They really have sort of cobbled that together. And he, you know, he pointed to Sheldon Richardson, but. I mean, they, they cut Shelton Richardson because he was making too much money. So I, I don't know. I mean, we we know, remember the Maliks. Uh, this last year, they go and get Taven Bryan. They try to kind of reclaim his career. They hand it to the rookies. Um, th- there hasn't really been that big investment. And I do wonder, you know, if they are going to go out and pursue a Jesse Bates, you know, for as much as we just talked about how they're going to free up the money they need. If they do go pursue a Jesse Bates, that does take a chunk out of what they could use to maybe pursue a top-end defensive tackle, at least. Yes, but remember this, and this is an important thing to remember. When you acquire or sign a guy, you can mess around with his contract so that you are lowering his cap number down to almost nothing like they did with Amari Cooper last year, right? I mean, they traded for Amari Cooper. He had an over $20 million a year cap hit, and they got that that thing down to one something, I think. Uh, So they can do that with these guys. Of course, you're, you know, you're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul a little bit, and you're pushing some things out. But if you kind of keep the shell game going, um, you know, you can keep doing this and and get what you need and you want each year. So I, I just I still don't think it's going to be a problem. I think if they want to go out and, and sign a, a top notch safety and a top notch defensive tackle, they'll be able to do it. Okay, so my takeaway we'll talk about, and again, this is something that'll be a topic as as we move forward here in the off season. Let's talk a little Greg Newsom. It was one of the questions we we threw out in our pod on Friday. What questions do we have for Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski? Um, so Andrew said. Uh, about Greg that uh, he feels good about where Greg is. He's going to be a pretty big part of what we're doing moving forward. I think Greg, one of his value adds is the fact that he can play outside and inside, but we think he's a good young player. And I know Jim Schwartz is excited to work with him. Mary Kay, your headline on cleveland.com for this was Greg Newsom still gets a big yes, all caps from Andrews Barry, despite his all caps. no, on playing inside, I thought it was interesting. You know, this is Andrew Barry's MO, right? When guys sort of publicly express displeasure. Um, this is a little different than like David, you know, Greg has not requested to be traded or anything. But, um, you know, he basically made it clear, like, we still believe this guy's part of our future. But I also thought it was interesting that he added part of what makes him valuable is that versatility. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing that Kevin Stefanski said last year in December when we asked him the same question, because this, of course, is not the first time that we have known that Greg Newsom wasn't loving playing in the slot. He feels like he's an outside corner and that's where he wants to be. And uh, for people that don't know, he did answer N-O in all caps on Twitter when a fan asked him if he was open to playing in the slot again. So 
he is making it very clear how he feels about doing that. And the Browns are making it very clear that they need his versatility. I mean, Martin Emerson is a really good outside corner. So is Denzel Ward. And there's a little bit of a crowd there. So he's going to have to do both. And, um, and I just don't think they're worried about it. He's under contract and, um, and they value him very highly. And I'm sure that, you know, when he sits down with, with Jim Schwartz or, um, or his new cornerbacks coach, Brandon Lynch, that he is going to, um, he, you know, I'm sure he'll be fine. I'm sure they're going to say, you know, here's why we need you to do these kinds of things. And here's why you're so good at it. And, you know, that's a, a very amazing thing to be able to do is both. So go out and do it to the best of your ability. Yeah, I, I would never expect Andrew to be rattled by any situation. And Ashley, he certainly was not rattled by by this one. No, just kind of unfazed, like didn't even really like acknowledge the tweet or anything, which is kind of par for the course. And yeah, you know, I think ultimately, like we've talked about, is this going to be that big of a deal come August, come like the start of training camp, July? Oh, gosh, two weeks earlier into July, given the Hall of Fame game announcement, I guess. I'm already thinking about that. I, like, I don't, I don't know. And I think ultimately you hit the nail on the head, right? It's like, Greg, I don't know. He, he might've done just enough to kind of, if he doesn't want to play slot quarter, he maybe did a little bit too well for them to want to take him out of it. And the problem it now is they also really like Martin Emerson. So I think you can never have enough corners. I think that's the philosophy that this front office, this team kind of lives by. And I think, you saw how valuable that is this year when Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom went through their injuries at different points. But I think, you know, it just might be a product of, hey, we want to get all three of these guys on the field when we can. And Greg is the one of the three that is best suited to play the slot, even if he doesn't like it. Yeah, Ashley mentioned a big day for um, preseason football lovers in Cleveland. The Browns will have four preseason games this year uh, as they will play the Jets in that Hall of Fame game. And Ashley, as you mentioned, they will get to start training camp like 15 days earlier than everybody else. And in fact, the, for the quarterbacks and injured guys, add seven days to that. So uh, there, there we go. Uh, get those vacation requests in now, I guess, <laughs> uh, if, if you work for us. Um, oh, my all goodness. Right. <laughs> all right. That'll do it for this uh, little quick edition recapping the day at the Combine. Uh in Indianapolis on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on our podcast feed wherever you listen. Uh, Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. And on Spotify, and of course, become a Football Insider subscriber. We sent a ton of texts today. So uh, go to cleveland.com slash browns. Click the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up for that. Uh, We'll be back with another one of these tomorrow from Indianapolis. Until then, for Mary Kay and Ashley on Dan, thanks for listening, everybody. 